Uh, Mary Kay, how many of you have ever bought a Mary Kay product before? This is confessional time. <laughs> no, I can't even see who has their hands raised. It doesn't matter. Uh, here's a, a quote from Mary Kay. There are two things that people want more than sex and money, recognition and praise, right? I don't know if you agree with this statement or not, uh, but doing a little research this week, it seems that people actually want and are willing to leave very good paying jobs for recognition. People are willing to leave marriages where maybe the sex is wonderful, but they're not recognized, they're not appreciated, they're not loved, and so they'll leave the marriage for recognition and praise. And so maybe Mary Kay was onto something. And what her quote surfaces really is that all of us have a desire to be honored, to be recognized, to be seen for the things that we're doing or for the people that we really are. And I believe that we're actually made for recognition. We're made for honor and to be honored. So I, I think the desire that we have isn't a bad desire. Some of us get all weird, you know, when someone gives us praise or recognition, and we're like, ah, to, to God be the glory, or like, what, what am I supposed to say, right? You can just say thank you and, and move on, but we get all strange because we're not sure what we're supposed to do with recognition, right? As Christians, those who follow Jesus, we want for him to ultimately be recognized so we feel like, ah, it's a slight on him if we're getting any of the attention. I've heard people say, man, I just love Jesus so much. I wish that I could just play my guitar behind a screen up here. I'm like, do you realize how weird that would be, right? Josiah, like on the other side, strange silhouettes, right? It'd be so weird, but it comes out of that, like, I don't know what to do with this desire to be recognized, but ultimately I want for God to be recognized. So the desire is actually a good thing to be recognized, right? We were made for it. But how do, how do we get it? How is it that we go after being recognized? If you read any business books or entrepreneurial books, uh, one of the big things that they talk about today is a platform. You need a platform for yourself to be able to build your business, your reputation, you as a product. So you personally are the product that is being marketed. And the whole idea of building a platform is for you to be recognized and honored so that you can receive passive income, so that you can receive money, so that you can receive more opportunities, so that you can receive, right? So how, how do we receive honor? How do we do this? We all wanna be honored, all wanna be recognized, but how do we do it? And then specifically, the, the title of this sermon series is Life of Influence in a Godless World. So how do we, I'm gonna speak specifically to those who are followers of Jesus right now, how do we, as those who are followers of Jesus, receive recognition from those who do not love Jesus in a godless world? Right? How do we do this? How do we do this without compromising? So that's what we're gonna get after. Let me just give you quick background. Book of Esther, a uh, book in the Old Testament. The Bible's broken up into two big sections. Uh, the first two-thirds of your Bible is the Old Testament before Jesus. The, the last third or quarter, whatever your fractions are, uh, is a New Testament. So life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Four accounts. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's not four different Jesuses. It's not four different uh, reincarnations of Jesus. You don't read Matthew, see he rose from the dead and then you see that he's born again in Mark and you're like, oh wow, like this Jesus is powerful. He keeps coming to do this. Same Jesus, same account, just different details from different perspectives. And so uh, the New Testament is basically the first hundred years of church history, uh, different parts of it. So Old Testament 
In Persia, so Persian Empire, okay, pretty big deal. Uh, just before the, the Greeks uh, took over the world, um, we were watching, uh, what was that we were watching last night? Trying to put myself to sleep. My big fat Greek wedding too or something. And, and this is a confession for me, right? So we're watching this in bed and the guy's just obsessed with Alexander the Great. And uh, so anyway, they come after Persia. Um, so uh, Xerxes, okay, or Ahasuerus, as we'll see his name in the text, uh, he gets upset with his wife, uh, tells her to get lost. Uh, he takes a new wife named Esther, makes her the queen. Uh, and in the book of Esther, strangely enough, it's in the Bible, but there's no mention of God at all. And this is why we've titled the series Life of Influence in a Godless World. How do we as followers of Jesus, followers of God, live in a world that wants nothing to do with God except enjoy his holidays? So, we're gonna get at um, a character named Mordecai this morning. Last week, we saw that Mordecai was a passive cousin who was responsible for Esther, but who, in essence, let her go into the king's harem, which means that she was not coming out again. He was gonna have no real relationship with her because she was just gone. Once you enter into the king's harem, you don't come out again. Your life is over. So he's kind of this passive figure. And so we're gonna look at Mordecai this morning. And, and here's what Mordecai is doing. After Esther has already been brought in to the harem, has been made queen, okay, she has a, a place of prominence now. Uh, Mordecai is hanging out at the king's gates, the gates of the city, and he hears a plot to kill the king. Here's a plot to kill the king. Now, if I'm Mordecai, all right, we just have to keep putting ourselves in the situation of people in the story because it's easy to read a story in the Bible and be like, what an idiot, like what a moron. Why would you ever do that? But yet if you were put in the same situation, you'd probably do the same thing, if not worse, right? Don't put yourself above the characters. Try and place yourself in their situation, knowing the way that you would respond. But if I'm Mordecai, I hear that the king's gonna be murdered. The first thing that's gonna go on in my mind is my cousin's gonna go free. The king is gonna be murdered. There's gonna be all kinds of crazy upheaval. I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna rescue the queen. I'm gonna take her out of there. No longer is she gonna be in there and maybe take some riches with me. I don't know, we'll see. But what would you do? What would you do if you're, if you're Mordecai? The king that just took your cousin took her away from you, like you have no more real contact with her except through a few eunuchs who pass messages back and forth, right? What would you do? Well, look at what Mordecai does. Uh, Esther chapter two, uh, 21 through 23. Uh, also, if you don't have a Bible, as you leave today, grab one on your way out. We have them in English and in French. Here it is. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gates, Big Thin and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus, that's Xerxes. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Mordecai decides, I'm not gonna run in and, and rush the, 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 the palace I'm gonna go the, the honorable route, tell the king that someone's gonna try and murder him and he actually keeps him alive. And this gets recorded in the history books, but what happens is that Mordecai goes unrecognized. Like if you save the king, I mean, at, at least you want like, 
I don't know, a bib or something, like I saved the king bib to wear. I, I don't know. Like you want a fork or a spoon or you want like a banner. You want something to say like this guy is legit. He saved me. If not a bib, then a little bit of money at least. But he, I don't know why my mind went to bib. That was the first thing that came to my mind. I told you I'm sick. I'm sick. Um, but he went unrecognized for this honorable deed. Went unrecognized for this honorable deed. Um, how do you feel when you do something that's noble and honorable and you go unrecognized for it? Doesn't that make you feel like warm and fuzzy? It's like a, a different warm and fuzzy, like your cheeks get red, right? And you get a little bit flustered and if you're prone to hit people, you kind of want to a little bit. Or if you're more passive aggressive, you want to you know, start writing emails or documenting how these people aren't really all that great. But how do you feel when you're not recognized, Right? Someone missed how great you were. Someone missed it. And, and when they get elevated or, or this opportunity that you developed or product that you've been working on or the idea that you've been working really hard to see come to fruition, when it finally goes, someone else grabs credit for that. How does that feel? It feels horrible. You wanna be the one to stand up and be like, that's my idea. But you know that if you do that, that's not gonna bode well for you either because culturally that's a bit weird. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do as well when someone receives honor for the thing that you got? What do you do? I mean, these are real realities that we face on an, on an ongoing basis, that people around us receive honor and praise and glory and fame because of us because of things that we're doing. Now, it might not be like, you know, retweeted millions of times, but it's in our little worlds where they're the ones that get the employee of the month, which means like a $100 gift certificate, which in the grand scheme of things is nothing, absolutely nothing, but inside it's destroying you because someone else was recognized for something that you did. And this is what we're gonna see. Not that someone gets recognized for saving the king, but that Mordecai did an honorable thing. He could have been elevated in his status, but the king cho chooses to elevate a different person in status, not for that task of being saved, but he chooses to elevate this man named Haman. Now, Haman was very wealthy, and Haman was gonna be able to help the king push his kingdom forward. Mordecai really couldn't do that. So let's get on with this guy, Haman. Esther 3, verse one. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. So Haman gets put into like second command of, of the world, of the empire, okay, pretty big deal. And then he commands that everyone basically bow down to Haman, recognize and honor him. So here it is. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down, paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? When they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Why didn't Mordecai bow? Is it really that big of a deal to bow down and pay homage 
to Haman. He had no problem paying homage to this king who was not a really great man who actually took his, his cousin. He had no problem doing that. He had no problem compromising in significant areas of life. But what was the change? What brought the change all of a sudden in, in Mordecai that he's willing to um, not bow down to this man, Haman? Is it jealousy? Is it because he was bitter that his act didn't go recognized so now he's gonna be uh, aggressive in protest? Like, I'm not bowing down to this guy because I should have been the one that was honored for the thing that I did. What was it? I think it's more than that. If we go back to verse one, we see uh, he promoted Haman the Agagite. Okay, this, this carries a lot of weight in this whole reality that Haman was an Agagite, which would have been a descendant of the Amalekites, okay? Now you're like, Agagites, Amalekites, what do these have to do with me? All right, great, I'm glad you're with me, okay? So these Amalekites are enemies of the Jews. Now Mordecai, Esther are Jewish. Mordecai told Esther last week, not last week, but in last week's sermon, um, not to reveal who she was, not to reveal that she was a Jew. And so now we have Haman, descendant of the Amalekites, and we have Mordecai, a Jew, and they are enemies. Well, why are they enemies? Well, the Jewish people were enslaved in the land of Egypt, and they were brought up out of Egypt, and here's what happened as they were brought up out of Egypt. Now, this is many years ago, right? Exodus, second book of the Bible. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. Okay, the father of the Amalekites from under heaven. Moses built an altar, called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So Mordecai knows who Haman is. He knows that, that we are enemies. Your people tried to wipe out my people generations ago. I have beef with you. I don't have beef with the king. I mean, he brought my cousin in. He said, we could go back to our land. I don't have beef with him, but I have beef with you because you are my enemy. And, and God said that he will blot you out because of the way that you treated our people. There's enmity between Mordecai and Haman. And so Mordecai refused to, to honor an enemy, refuses to honor an enemy. What do you do if a lesser refuses to honor you? What do you do if a, a person lesser than you, and I'm not talking like caste system, I'm talking like kids, right? Hey, go, um, okay, normal situation in our house. Um, hey, buddy, good job eating. Uh, just go bring your plate into the sink. Why? Because I'm bigger than you. I, like, I don't know. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I just asked you nicely. Like, I don't want to. Jess, come here, like come deal with this child, I'm about to break them. Uh, but like there's something that goes off in you or an employee that just started, like you've been working at your job a whole six months and they've been there six days and you have like six month righteousness of like, they don't even know what they're doing, right? You've been there six months, you have no idea what you're doing either. But yet something in you is like, well, I've gone through all of the training. They should be honoring me. They should be asking me. They should be wanting to know the information through me because I am so great and they are so little. 
So this is not like a, a king and peasant type thing. This is a normal everyday thing. How do you feel when you've been waiting in line to get on the 40 West in the 15 in the three blistering hot days that we have in Montreal and people just wanna keep cutting in front of you? You're like, you're lesser. Your car is smaller. You're, you're lesser than me. I've been waiting a long time. I'm not letting you in. I don't care what finger you put up, right? I'm gonna give you a thumbs up continually, right? You, there's like things that go off in you, right? I'm sick and they're going off in me, right? Because we're gonna, we're gonna experience that again today, right? We're going back into this horrific world that is construction in Montreal. But what do you do when someone lesser than you refuses to honor you? I wish I could always say like, yeah, 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 just go ahead, get in. Oh, buddy, you probably didn't mean like why. Like, let's, let's work through this. Right, there are things that go off in us. And, and on a lesser scale than what we're gonna see, when we're dishonored, the first thing that goes off in us sometimes is I wanna destroy this person. And again, it's not like I wanna, I wanna kill all of you it's this like, I just wanna make it hard for you to live, right? Like I wanna be a little fly, I wanna be a mosquito, I wanna be something that's just annoying to you. This is what goes off in us, is that we wanna destroy this other person. When Haman is an honored, look at what happens to him. When Haman saw Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, so they're Jews, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So Haman is dishonored, and he says, well, instead of laying a hand on him today, I'm gonna plot to wipe out all of the Jews. Hitler wasn't the first one to try this. There have been many attempts throughout history to remove the Jewish people, the people of God. So the first step that we have is that we plan to destroy people when they dishonor us. We plan to destroy them. This could be a social media attack. This could be emailing everyone else in the company. I remember early on in the church, uh, very early on, uh, there was someone that wanted to play uh, on, I mean, I, I didn't know them at all. Okay, they wanted to play on the music team. They wanted to minister to us. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we have this thing where you know, we, we have people wait six months. They're like, I'm not waiting six months. The Lord told me to be here. I'm like, well, here's the thing. Like, the Lord didn't tell me that you were supposed to be here doing this thing. So uh, maybe we'll just wait six months. We'll get to know you a little bit. He's like, no, I'm gonna do this. I'm like, mm, no, you're not. This is when I have to like, put my whole five, seven and a half you know, frame up. And I'm like, well, you can't do that. Uh, over my dead body, you can't, like, that doesn't, that doesn't work with me. Um, but it's, it's this idea that, that he wanted to destroy me because I wouldn't let him get what he wanted. So he, this is really weird. So he sends packages to everyone. There were like 10 of us in the church or something at the time. Like, it wasn't very big. And he sent packages to everyone talking about how I was trying to rip down his ministry and destroy him. And and I mean, it was, a really, it was really wild, but we saw this when I wouldn't recognize his gift to the church. He said, I'm gonna destroy Dwight. I'll go after him. And this is what we do. This is what we do in, in little ways. And we all wanna do it. We all wanna do it. And then as we think about it and meditate the dishonor, I can't believe they said that to me. 
And then I get home and I'll say to my wife, can you believe they said it? She's like, I can't believe it. I'm like, oh, it makes me more angry. Like no one can believe it, right? And you just get so upset and you start journaling about how, oh, I've been, and then you call people, can you believe it, right? And you just, you just get more and more and more upset and fury begins to take over you and you let this dishonor fester. For Haman, he let this dishonoring fester in him for a year. Verse seven, the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, uh, they cast per, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day. They cast it month after month till the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So this dishonoring is festering in him for a year. And then finally, he makes a plan to manipulate the king into letting him destroy these people. And that's usually what we do. We get really upset we let it fester, then we play with it long enough in our minds so we're not just reacting out of passion. We actually get really aggressive with it and we manipulate people to be able to take down the person that we want removed. And this is what Haman does. Then Haman came to the king there and said, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. And, and you want to get at a king's heart, you tell them that they're opposed to him, right? Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. So that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. But, I mean, you're so lucky, kings, I have a plan. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took a signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also to do with them as it seems good to you. So Haman just manipulates the king. He finds out how the king really works over that year. He goes in with a plan. These people are against you, but I have a plan. I'm gonna help you get rid of them so that everyone in your kingdom is for you. And it's like, that's a really good plan here. Oh, and you're gonna pay me for it? That's amazing, right? This is a really good deal for the king. And here's the plan. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, kill, and annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So they're gonna destroy them and take everything. And you'd think like the king might be a little bit troubled at that, like I'm gonna wipe out an entire people. But look what they end up doing, right? They have this Sanka set. The couriers went out hurriedly. By order of the king, the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. The king and Haman sat down to drink but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. A good king, when his city is in confusion and bad things are happening, he doesn't sit down to drink and celebrate. He sits down to figure out how are we gonna fix things. The city's thrown into confusion, but he's okay because his name is gonna be great, his power is gonna be seen, and his wealth is going to increase. You see, it's so easy for us, it's easy for Haman to do this, but it's easy for us as well to just remove people or ourselves when people don't honor us. It's easy to remove people or to just take ourselves out of the situation when we're not honored. It's easier because you don't have to work through the conflict, you don't have to work through the struggle, you don't have to work through the misunderstanding. Have you ever said, 
you don't have to admit this, but if they weren't here, life would be so much easier. We all have. Now, that's not like a death wish on people normally, but it's like, man, if they just weren't part of our family, if they just weren't part of our church, if this person wasn't part of my job, then my life would be so much easier. As if they're solely responsible for the anguish and the things that are going on inside of you. But here's the thing, that the Lord, the God that that we believe in, he often uses moments where we're dishonored to surface false gods in our hearts. All right, so God uses moments of dishonor to show us things about ourselves that maybe we didn't see before. Listen to this quote by Michael Scott. Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. It's one of my heroes. Just joking. Um, But this is what's going on. When we're dishonored, these things come out. These quotes come out. Do I need to be liked? Well, yes, I do. I need to be recognized. I need to be honored. You gotta hear this. Haman has it all. Haman has it all. Look at this. Haman recounted to them, being his family and friends, the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. Tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Like, this is top of the world type of stuff. No one else is is enjoying this type of life. But look what bothers him. Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. He has everything, but this one man is throwing his whole world off. And look at verse 13. After he recounts all that he has to his family, he says, yet all this is worth nothing to me. So long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. This is troubling. Because it says that you can have every single thing in the world. Like Haman had no other wish that he wanted. Except that this one, one man, one Twitter follower, one blogger, one employee, this one person. Like if if he could just get rid of this one person, then everything would be complete. And we delude ourselves into thinking that. If I could just get this one other thing right, then everything would be made right. But the thing is, there's always gonna be a Mordecai. There's always gonna be someone else trying to get into your lane. There's always gonna be that employee that won't honor you. There's always gonna be that kid that refuses to take their plate and instead throws it at you. There's always gonna be that. It's never this, if only I could get this thing to work, then I could manage all of my recognition and honor the way that I want it to be. I mean, this is what an idol is. Something that you can't live without. And Haman can't see all of the things he has. He can only see the one thing that he doesn't have. And this is what an idol is. So Jesus speaks in the New Testament about either worshiping God or worshiping anything else. 
You can't worship God and worship something else. Anything else is an idol, a false God that cannot provide what only God can give to you. And here's the thing with idols, they promise to satisfy, but they can never give enough. So you get recognition, you write a really great blog post, you put a really great Facebook thing, you put a wonderful image, and you get all of these likes, but at some point, no one's gonna like them anymore, so you have to put out another thing, and then when that thing doesn't get recognized the way that other thing did, you go into despair, because you're not being recognized. And some of you are like, this is all, this is all silly, but you can apply this to anything in life. It's just the silly things of social media that draw this out for us. We all want honor for different reasons. Some of us want it for control. So that you, I'll be honored so that I can control you know, the way that my, um, my career is gonna go. Some of us want to be recognized so that we can receive approval, maybe the approval that our parents didn't give to us. We're looking for somewhere else. But we all want to be recognized and honored for different reasons. And we end up building a world where we can be recognized and honored. This is why we silo ourselves away from people. Uh, social media is not dumb, right? This is a reason why you don't see on your feed usually lots of things that you disagree with. Usually, unless you're weird. Um, usually, Facebook's algorithms are working so that you get all the things that you're like, like, yes, share, amazing. Can you believe these idiots, right? Like, it's, it's filtered for you so that you live in a silo, so that you keep coming back, so that you don't get angry at them. This is how we like to build our world so that we're honored and the things that we wanna honor are honored. But that's not the real world. It's not the real world. And when we finally get the honor that we think we deserve, we have to work really, really hard to keep it. And this is the way the idols work. When you finally get your God of money, let's say money, that's an easy one. You finally get the amount of money that you think that you should have that, that now I feel secure well, guess what? You have to work to keep that. You have to work to make sure that, that the interest rates don't, don't diminish or inflation or whatever. You have to keep that. Your job, you can't just make it a CEO and be like, I made it. Mic drop, boom. Like, you sit in your underwear in an office for the rest of your life and do nothing. Now you have to work harder to keep it, to keep everything you wanted. Idols make you work and they don't give you the recognition that you want. In fact, they say, if you work a little harder, there's more waiting for you. There's always the carrot, and when you can't reach it, there's always the stick. Idols woo you towards something and beat you when you don't get it. We see with Haman that he has to work to keep this. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. That's like 75 feet in the air, by the way. Like that's really high. Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman and he had the gallows made. He had to work to keep this recognition. But here's the thing that even in our pursuit to keep recognition and honor for ourselves, to keep our, our idols happy, we can't control everything. And in this case, Haman, though he had a great plan, 
He couldn't control the king's sleep. So we see in chapter six, verse one, on that night, the king couldn't sleep. He gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. If you can't sleep, history is a great thing to be brought in, right? Like that will knock me out. I was trying to crank out this big Winston Churchill novel. Like I'm on page 70 or something and it's taken me three years. Like this is my go-to sleep thing, right? So the king can't sleep. He's like bringing the history books. And when they do, uh, he just happened to be on a specific section that was this. It was found written how Mordecai, remember this unrecognized deed, how Mordecai had told about Bigtha and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said nothing has been done for him. Now, I mean, this is just like a beautiful film, right, taking place, but this is reality. So King Can't Sleep, books brought in, opens up to Mordecai's section. Uh, The gallows have been made, right? Haman's worked really hard all night. Gallows have been made. He comes in, and I'm just gonna read verses four to 12. No commentary, just read it. Poetic justice might be. The king said, who's in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. The king said, oh, let him come in. So Haman came in, the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Haman said to the king, well, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has written, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai, led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gates, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. Idle, smashed, right? Done. The thing that you've been longing for, the one thing that you wanted to come true is gone in an instant. Here's the thing, the world will never give you, the opposition to God will never give you enough recognition. You're always going to be left wanting You're always gonna be left like Haman if you continue to go back to the same places to feed your need for recognition and honor. But what we see in this account is that God's sovereignty, his control, his providential placing of people is at work here. We also see God's care for his people. Though his people were about to be destroyed, God is saying, I'm gonna honor them in a way that no one else could write the script for Jesus was very clear though. He was very clear that his, the people of God will not be honored by the world for living godly lives. 
So you have to hear this, that the world, the opposition to God is not going to honor you for living godly life. Now, if you want to get behind like recycling, boom, that's a good thing. You want to get behind um, stopping human trafficking, most of the world will be behind that, right? There's lots of things that they'll applaud you for, but living a godly life, they, they will not applaud you for it. They will not recognize you for it. They'll call you a bigot. They'll call you backwards. They'll call you old school. They'll call you against progression. They'll call you against God because God couldn't be this way. Jesus promises this in uh, the book of John, book of the New Testament. If the world hates you, know that it had hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world being opposition to God, if you were of the opposition to God, The opposition to God would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And then this is one of the most perplexing verses that Jesus says. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus is saying the world hates me and they don't even know why. They don't even know why. And if they hate me and they don't even know why, they're going to hate you and they won't even know why. You won't get the recognition that you're longing for from the opposition to God. So we come back to the initial question. We've done two things. We've been talking about honor and us, looking at the, the story of Haman and Mordecai. We've been intertwining them. So the question is, if we're made for honor, but can never get enough of it, how are we to be honored? If we're made to be recognized, but we can never get enough Facebook likes or shares or retweets or employee of the month or slaps on the back or high fives, if we can never get enough of this, then how are we supposed to be satisfied? And so I wanna end with this. What if we were honored for someone else's achievement? What if we received honor for something that someone else has done? Uh, One of my best friends in high school, uh, he passed away several years ago, uh, but he received news he wasn't gonna graduate high school, okay? This is, don't emulate this, this is not a good thing to do. We found out he wasn't gonna pass high school, and, uh, and so he went and he said, what is it gonna take? And, and he's like, you have to, the teacher said, you have to write a book report. And, and his name's Jason. He's like, I don't know how to write book reports. I'm like, bro, how did you make it this far? Like, what do you know how to do? He's like, I can watch movies. I'm like, all right, cool. So I said, I can write. You can watch movies. Great. Why don't you watch this movie? Tell me about it. I'll write the report for you, right? And that's what we did. And I turned in a book report, or he turns in my book report. Uh, the teacher looked at him funny because he knew I mean, I tried to dumb it down a little bit, but he still knew. But he and I walked on graduation day. Uh, he walked because of my, my doing this on his behalf. Now, that is not, do not copy that. That is a horrible example for you. It's the example, though, of he is being honored for my achievement. He is being honored for my achievement. And that felt good for me. That felt good for me because I wanted him to graduate. But if he had stolen my report and turned that in and I didn't graduate because he took my thing, that would make me furious. But what if we can be recognized? What if we can be recognized and get our recognition because of another? How does that make you feel? 
How does it make you feel to know that you can't do enough good things to be recognized by, by God? You can't do it. You can't be religious enough. You can't come to church gathering enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough to have God say, wow, now I recognize you. Holy cow. I mean, I'm holy, but holy cow, this is amazing. I had no idea you were able to pull this off. You know, as I was thinking about being honored for someone else's achievement, it, it felt wrong. It almost feels dishonorable to be honored for someone else's achievement. But yet, this is how the Bible actually challenges us. Because the story of the Bible is that we were created honorable. We were made good. We were made good. We were made like God. But we became dishonorable. We became dishonorable on our own when we gave God the middle finger and we became unlike him. Made honorable, we became dishonorable. And we said, God, we want nothing to do with you. And ever since then, we've been trying to earn it back. We've been trying to earn favor with God back. We've been trying to hide our shame. We've been trying to hide the bad things about us so that no one would know who we really are. We've been hiding our shame ever since we became dishonorable. We've been trying to earn honor back. But here's the good news of the Bible is that the king, the real king, being God, he comes to a dishonorable people, us. He comes to a people that should not have his presence amongst us. But he comes to us in the person of Jesus. And instead of coming and massacring us, he comes and he's massacred for us. He comes and he goes to a cross. He lives a perfect life, only honoring God. He lives a perfect life. He goes to a cross. He wears our dishonorable deeds, actions, thoughts, motives. He becomes our heinousness on the cross so that we could wear his honor, so that we could be honorable in the sight of God again. He paid for all of our sin, all of our rebellion. Sin is missing the mark of perfection that God has said. Jesus paid for that. And after he was killed, he rose again from the dead so that he could minister this honor to us. He could give it to us himself. Not just send it in the mail or send it through a book, but that Jesus could give this honor to us himself. You see, the honorable one became dishonorable so that we might become honorable children of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We are honored for someone else's achievement. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of the gospel. This is the good news. And this honor that's given to us, when we say, Jesus, your death and your resurrection, that's for me. I need to be forgiven I've been trying to earn honor, but I can't anymore. This carousel of earning recognition, I, I need to get off. I can't do it anymore. Jesus says, I want to give you recognition from God. This is one that silences all other needs for recognition and honor. You see, our desire to be recognized, to, be, to receive honor from people is really a desire to be honored and recognized by God. If nothing else in this world can fill it, then we must be made 
to have it filled by someone outside of this world. Only the honor and recognition that God can give to us is what can fill that void that we long to fill. And this honor isn't based on your ability or inability, but it's based on his perfect ability on your behalf. You never have to base your relationship with God on your work, it's all on his work. That this morning, God would look and say, my beloved son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased, I I honor you and I recognize you as my, my children because of what I have done for you. Do you realize how freeing that is? That no longer do you have to go into the world to try and find your identity, find your place, find your recognition, find your groove, find your whatever, but you get sent out full. I'm already recognized. No one can like this anymore. No one can share this anymore. My my cup is full. My cup is full because of him. And so let me wrap this up with this. When we're dishonored in this world, when we're dishonored with this world, we have a father. We have a father in heaven who sees what we do. He doesn't miss what you do. He doesn't miss what Mordecai does. You might not have a Mordecai story where your enemy touts you around the city square, but the father does not miss, God the father does not miss anything about what you do. He honors you as his child regardless of what anyone else says. When people are against you, lying about you, you can, you can be full of integrity because God knows. God knows my integrity in this. When we're dishonored, rather than wanting to demolish people, we can pray for them. I mean, this, this doesn't make sense unless we believe that I have all the recognition and honor that I need. When we're dishonored, we can pray for them. When we're dishonored, we don't need to let it fester. We can say, God, this is your thing. You have providential uh, placing. You're in sovereign control. It's yours. Would you please work this out so that you get the most fame out of this? And when we're dishonored, we can keep living for him. We don't have to shift gears. We don't have to compromise. We don't have to become unethical because the world, the opposition to God, can't add or take away from the recognition and honor that comes through Jesus, and this is good news for us. So this morning, you're free. You're free. This changes the way that we live. We no longer have to work for identity and recognition, but we work from already having it. Do you see that difference? You get to work from already having it. And now we desire, as we go out into our normal everyday things, we desire that the Lord be recognized through the way that we live out our new identity. We're not living for our recognition anymore. We're living so that other people would get to know who this God is. That the God that's for Quebec is not the God that that they know about through history, that abused children, that created horrible demands on the society, that forced people to do things that they didn't want to do. That's what people believe in Quebec about God. But this God is, is one who wants to bring recognition, who wants to be the true sovereign one that, that everyone is seeking for, who wants to fill them with love and help them be able to, to sink down in freedom and find rest in this Father. And so we, we don't just gather as a church, we're sent out 
as a church to go and show who God is to a city that, that desperately needs to know him. So let me pray for us. God, thank you that you give us honor because of what Jesus has done. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that uh, we, we are recognized by you this morning as children of God, not, not because of all the amazing things that we've done, but because of what you've done, because of who you are. And you're ferocious. You are absolutely ferocious in moving towards people in love and care and compassion. Thank you that you desire and have all the power to be able to transform a city by your love. And we pray that you would use us toward that end. Any areas that we're looking for recognition and honor outside of you, Lord, would you cause us to turn from those this morning and turn back to you? Help us see that we have everything that we need because of what you've done, Jesus. And you're alive and you can give it to us this morning. So we do, we love you and we need you for everything. Amen.